Welcome back to For Fintech Sake, folks. I'm Zach Anderson Pettit, U.S. Content Director at Money 2020, and your unqualified host. This week, we welcome Kristen Anderson to the show. I am so excited about this one, especially on Valentine's Day, because this is a founder I truly love. That's right. I'm that cheesy. We just went there. Kristen is truly one of my favorite people in fintech and really in the world at large. She runs a company called Catch. Catch provides payroll and benefits for the self-employed. They automatically divvy up your income, taxes, retirement savings, and more. It's good stuff, folks. Highly recommend checking them out if you're running a business as a freelancer or if you are kind of going in that direction. Kristen knows more about this world than anybody I've ever spoken to, and her wealth of knowledge doesn't stop there, as you will discover as we get into the show. We cover a lot of ground in this one. If you want to jump to a specific piece of the conversation, take a gander at the show notes. We've recently started breaking down the show by topic in the notes so you can hop into specific subjects if you're just dying to get there. And another very exciting thing that we have happening this week is welcoming a new sponsor, Navin, formerly Trip Actions. You might have heard of them. It's an all-in-one travel corporate card and expense management solution that provides real-time visibility control and cost savings. Yes, it does all of those things. Stay tuned to hear more about Navin. And if you're just dying to find out more right now, go to the show notes and click the link to visit navin.com. You won't regret it. And now my conversation with Kristen Anderson. And isn't there some kind of inverse where if like if you're a big baby, you end up generally being I'm pulling this out of my ass. I feel I like no I had heard this. Okay. All right. All right. So here we have two two experts on everything. On on pediatric health. Yes, yes. Well at least gynecologist. One of us has at least training. created one human and is in the process of creating another. That's true. Yeah. How's 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 that going? No, I'm kidding. We won't start there. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm tired, bitch. Shut up. Oh, I'm just bored. <laughs> Get it out of it. out of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have very much exciting going on. I mean, outside of that, it's not like you're building a company or, you yeah. know, like, you know, no, no other requirements or responsibilities in your life. Things are good. Yeah. Just very laid back. There's the podcast, folks. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Just chilling. <laughs> just chilling. So let's go back to, I mean, to the, to the youth. I mean, the, the Reno joke and all that. Yeah. Um, the 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 Kristen of of the olden days. Where are you from? Kind of tell me about like how how you formed into are you the human that I'm you are. Garbage. I oh <laughs> yes, I forgot that I've shown that to you. So listeners, one of my favorite podcasts that has literally nothing to do with fintech uh, is a is a podcast called Are You Garbage. <laughs> And it is what it sounds like. You get asked questions that then lead you to uh, if you are garbage or not garbage. I still think that like if crypto wasn't what crypto is, um, the idea of the Are You a Degen show is actually a hilarious one. But yeah. I think, you know, the answer seems to be that. The, yes. yes. The answer is just the, yes, <laughs> yes, you are a f- all fucking Degens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I am asking, are you garbage? But no, but really take me back. Uh, educate me about the the youth of Kristen. I'm from Reno. Uh, <laughs> my parents, it. my parents didn't go to college. Uh, so I'm, I'm first gen. Most of my family didn't go to college, extended family, you know, very blue collar. Um, I, <laughs> I, 
it's often a tension because my family's very heavy union, mm. like very strong union. And so being a CEO, it's it's a little funny sometimes to like be the man that they all are like fighting against and sort of like fundamentally believe to be like corrupt and selfish and all those sorts of things. Um, but I think I think it's actually a really healthy perspective to come to a CEO job with, which is that especially in your with especially your industry with what and we what do, you do. Right, yeah. right. So yeah, I think there's there's a there's a lot of value to it. I I really respect unions. I think the the value like so many systems in our world are dependent on balance, mm-hmm. and like unions are balance for corporations. Now, of course, it can go too far in the other direction and people point to certain deficiencies with teachers unions and things like that. But like systems don't work when power gets too out of whack. And I appreciate the sort of um, the concept of saying, how do we balance power between owners and workers? And I think that's a a really good question. I think that (laughs) premise, I I like was trying to decide if I even wanted to mention this, but I saw it today and I just have to say it because it's been like crawling under my skin all morning. But a woman from Google who was not laid off okay. posted about how inhumane capitalist systems are. Okay. And I just... <sighs> like she posted this this morning? Like, Today. Okay. Yeah. Or yesterday. I don't know. But and she I, still has a job. She is still, still working at Google. Yes. Um. And I, I just, I, this is an example of where the balance has gone too far the other way, where I'm like to sit there and rake in probably double or triple my salary yeah. and, and complain about how More than inhuman. double or triple the average American oh salary. Oh my God, 10x like probably, yeah. 10x, yeah. right? And to complain about how inhumane the system is. Um. Yeah, that I think that's it gets my. Uh, <laughs> you also chose to work for a fucking company that removed "Don't Be Evil" as one of the like had like what? How do you even go through the process of removing "Don't Be Evil"? Like, yeah, I don't. What was that meeting like? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it was probably lawyers. I feel like no it, ha- shit. it yeah. had to be lawyers. I just assume it was Eric Schmidt walked in a room and was just like, no, we're going to be never evil mind. now. <laughs> like, just, never mind. Walks out. Take it back. Uh, yeah. I, I just this idea that like just by the nature of being an employee, you are exploited and a victim, especially inside of tech. When I like come from a family who like literally broke their bodies over decades just to like be able to provide a middle-class life for their families. Like, I just like, I can't, oh, I hate this phrase too, but I'm going to use it. I can't even with that shit. <laughs> I mean, I can't even either. Like my grandpa is, is such a fucking silly sentence, but my grandpa worked on the railroad Yeah, and he, Hey, we're like middle of the country people. Yeah. I get that. Strong Midwestern vibe. Well, no, not even Midwestern, you're Southern-ish, whatever, but like, yeah, strong, uh, not coastal vibes um but yeah my grandpa worked for burlington northern Mm -hmm. and when he passed like i think one of the things that i missed the most from him is just that you damn kids thing (laughs) in that sense of like you know what we went through you know what our work life was like and you're complaining about this and that and the other and i was like always too young to really appreciate what the what work actually was or what used right. to be versus is versus is going to right. be 
Um, but it, it's just, it, it saddens me that it's, uh, you know, some 30-year-olds, 30-something-year-olds sitting here like, you damn kids. I know. Like, it's wild. Well, I, I've thought a lot about employees who are, you know, layoffs are hard. It's, yeah. okay, it's okay to be upset and to to be sad and to to feel bad but i i think for for some of some of the amount of hand wringing that's done over it where for years you've benefited from like disproportionate profits that have come in from technology just it feels a little bit like do you know what working conditions are like for like a nurse yeah <laughs> like just like an average yeah. nurse i'm like an average day or like a teacher or or just like a, a person that does <laughs> I have this this feeling really often when I walk in and out of a bank or I like I'm, yeah. you know how we like run errands but like in my yeah. life like I run errands but I don't really have an office that I go to all that often right and I'm but I'm working all of the time yeah but I don't have like a place that I have to go sit and like I've just m multiple times this week just even being in the city I see people sitting at, like I go to the gym and when I walk in there's a person sitting at a desk back there and their job is like to sell memberships, yeah. right? And then when I leave, they're like, they're still sitting at that desk. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what? And How? they made like $18. In that time. <laughs> right. In that, yeah, like maybe. Right. Maybe. If right. you if taxes, oh, maybe yeah. not. Pre-tax. Yeah. Pre-tax 18. Yeah. I can't even imagine anymore. Like, yeah. It's, we're super privileged and I, I think there's like a, a lack of recognition of that and obviously again it, it it sounds easy to sit in the CEO chair and and talk about privilege because I am very very privileged but I think sometimes there's also a confusion of the title CEO and like again mid mid-level folks at these big tech companies have been making more money than me for a very long time totally. and, and you know there's there's just kind of a, a disconnect there yeah. between what the title means and what the um the benefits of that title are there are a ton yeah. of benefits yeah but it's not necessarily millions of yeah. dollars and <laughs> it's funny that you say that i was um well you and i actually off off camera off uh the beaten path i think we're having this conversation in vegas about yeah. how weird it is how many of our friends are like rich now yeah or like at least like wealthy-ish yeah it's a very very bizarre thing that happened yeah. really quickly yeah and but they weren't before right like in the uh, eli and i were talking about um uh just it's the podcast folks that came out last week probably maybe next week but it actually <laughs> happened about 20 minutes ago um <laughs> we we were talking about alloy and talking about like mm -hmm. laura specifically as like one of my early guests and just like somebody that i always really wanted to be rich because like if laura's rich yeah. i feel like the world's a better place right yes yeah. and she i'm not gonna like go out and say laura's like rich now but like alloy has done really well yeah and i think that laura is going to be in a position to do good things for the world so is tommy like that's fucking awesome to me yeah but i agree that there is this sense of like the seat like eli who was just here who has raised a seed round yeah is not rich no right like he is the opposite <laughs> of rich and most right. of our friends that leave the ceo position right actually do it because they weren't being paid enough and they need to go do it something else support their family right it's wild to me how few people understand that. right the recognition that ownership of uh you know venture back tech again extremely privileged place to sit and yeah. say this from but like 
a lot of like I I have people on my team who make more money than me. Like most CEOs pay people on their teams more than they make. And again, that's that's part of the trade-off. Yeah. That's like what we're doing. Yeah. But then you also have to tie that with the like 90 plus percent of startups fail. Right. Right. So it's like they're There's it's not just right. They're taking risk. And yeah. yes, it's for for potential upside, but it, it is also like it's not it's not all luxury and, and yeah. jets and stuff like that. But um the goal is hopefully someday. Yeah, we we go. <laughs> but jet, that darn baby. capitalist systems. <laughs> well, let's make that capitalist system work. Let's get that private jet. Let's go. You know, do the thing, and then you know, let's give the rest of it away. Maybe not really. What's the? Oh my god, I don't even remember what it was. The uh, uh, the effective altruism. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if we were going to SPF next. <laughs> yeah, that was the joke I was like kind of starting to make, and then I was like, oh fuck, too soon. Oh Slash, no, I'm just not gonna. I got land nothing this. to say. I'm I not got... gonna land this the way. I want to land this no comment yeah exactly so as much as like yes you are a ceo yes mm -hmm. you are all of, like venture back ceo all of those things yes privilege sure but the way that you got to the place that you're at right now <laughs> ain't the standard story so and i don't know how much of it you like yeah. can talk about want to yeah. talk about but i've this story is fucking wild to me and yeah. um i'd love for you to tell as much of it as you're willing to tell yeah so I uh, I think it's funny to say something like you know it's not the standard story. I I find that the standard story like, the standard yeah. story is is not that common, right? And yeah. you know we went through Y Combinator in 2019, and and I think the the sort of the hypothetical two dudes in a garage coding something to become yeah. billionaires is not it's not that it's not real it's just that like there are lots and lots and lots and lots of people who come into startups and grow in startups and build businesses yeah through very very different pathways so yeah. i uh i've worked a lot of different types of jobs in my career and yeah. i've spent most of my career not being the boss like yeah. the vast majority of my working time has not been being in charge um pros and cons to that too. Yeah. Uh, but like I started my career in consulting. I did work in nonprofits. Uh, I was a professor in China for a little bit, like a very little bit. But, you know, I, I've seen lots of different models. I didn't inter, inter venture backed tech until 2016, 2017, something like that. Yeah. So, um, sort what of the did, second when you half. were in China slash like earlier in your life, yeah. what did you think you wanted to be? Like, what was the the hypothetical? Interesting. <laughs> you fucked that one up. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I I really just worked hard to try and find things that I thought were interesting. Yeah, and I often optimized for what might be interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I took opportunities not based on money. Uh, obviously, like a, a floor amount of money, you yeah. know, but like. Certainly, like, you know, I took a, I worked at the consulting firm I was at. It was like a last minute thing where someone got sick and they needed someone in Dubai for five days, you know, and the beauty of being 24 and unattached yeah, is yeah. I was like, no problem, man. Like, <laughs> I'm there, right? Got on an airplane, had no, you know, like knew, knew enough about Dubai, but like, you know, I brought a headscarf because I just, I just wasn't sure. Right. And I just wanted to be prepared. And I, I put it on when I got off the airplane because I was looking around and all these women were, were putting on scarves and yeah. I wanted to be really respectful. And I got in a cab and the, the driver was like, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And she said, are you Muslim? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. And she's like, why are you wearing a scarf on your hair? And I was like, I'm trying to be respectful. 
Um, when in Rome? Uh, yeah, I was. I was trying. I was trying yeah. to make sure that no one felt that I, I would have done the same thing. Probably as a man, their like, culture, know. you know. Um, but that that was the sort of stuff where, like, I took I took opportunities like that without thinking about it and flew economy every time, <laughs> you know, back of the plane, middle seat type stuff, like the the cheapest Holiday Inn that Dubai has. It was, right. it was actually like pretty nice, you know, but like... <laughs> I mean, I would hope the Dubai Holiday Inn is... Dubai Holiday Inn. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't staying in like, you know, and I think I did a lot of stuff like that early in my career, not because I knew exactly what I wanted to do or be, but because I... I want, I was really thirsty for experience yeah. and just like whatever that might be. And like the world is really large and it was just a great opportunity um, to do that, which again is why I was at nonprofits. And yeah. so, you know, I used to, when I worked at this nonprofit, I used to come to New York occasionally for work and I would take the, like the bus from Boston. It's like $15, right? Because I was like, well, we can't put me on Amtrak. That's like way too expensive. It's like a hundred bucks, right? So it's like it's always been like with a sense of like it's it's okay to make decisions to save money and to be frugal yeah. for the sake of experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to be other than someone that people were like, that's interesting. <laughs> well, you pulled you've you've pulled that off. You do you debate in high school? I can't remember. I did do debate in high school. That yeah. was part of the yeah, I remember initially when we mm-hmm. I feel like we we were best friends within like four minutes because True. we both spoke at a like ridiculous clip. And I, th- I I don't remember what it was, but I think we found a mutual agreement that we disliked something. It was like some oh, I remember we shouldn't <laughs> talk about that. Now our <laughs> Never mind. Um, we will not discuss the thing that we don't like mutually, but people that know me well actually probably could guess. And if you've been listening to this okay, podcast enough, okay. you could probably guess. <laughs> it's the color yellow. Now, um, so we we bonded over a thing that we didn't uh, appreciate very much. And we spoke very, very quickly. And I think that was like the beginning. I think our brains connect disparate concepts very fast yes there are a lot of smart people in the world whose brains don't move at our speed i think you and i are maybe not as smart but our brains move real fast (laughs) i actually think that i was in the conversation i was having with eli we were talking about like computer science and i was like i legitimately don't think that i'm like smart enough to be a computer scientist like yeah to add any value yeah you know like that's not the way my brain would work and you're probably i, I, I don't was, know if you're the same but definitely andrew's brain is more meant for it correct i was a math major and i had to take some computer science you're, i didn't know you're a math major yeah jesus christ that's wild so yeah i majored in math but i i had to take some computer science as part of that major yeah. and Maybe because I, again, like you age yourself a little bit here, but like I didn't have computer science before college. So like my brain was a little less plastic. Maybe it would have been easier if I learned it earlier. But I remember like I was also an econ major. I was a double major. And I remember oh, that, being okay, like, now I remember the math part. OK, yeah. And I, I just remember being like, you know, I know this thing called comparative advantages. And I would sit there and struggle at the time I was dating a guy I went to high school with who was at MIT who was majoring in computer science at MIT. And I remember I'd like send him over my homework and be so damn proud of myself that I like, you could ask me, is this number even or odd? And like, it would put out whether or not the number was even or odd. And I like sent it over to him and I was like, look how good I am at computer science. And he was like, you wrote this in 11 lines. You could have done it in two. And I was just like, <laughs> fuck, like I'm just out. Like, There's just like no place for me here. So I, I like to consider myself. I mean, I don't believe you should be a tech CEO without being tech literate. Yeah. And tech literate means being comfortable looking at code, 
like not necessarily being able to write it, but being able to understand it, understanding some of the logic behind it. Like you should not be a tech CEO if you cannot function at that level of tech. Understand your stack at the very right, least. right. Like, be able to yeah. talk about some of its deficiencies and benefits yeah. and things like that. Like yeah. that's sort of like the floor of being a tech CEO. But yeah. I totally agree. I feel like there are a lot of computers, especially with how quickly it's moving now. AI. I mean, even blockchain. I've spent years trying to really understand blockchain, and I just like feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> like a few things. <laughs> I don't even think, I bet you're not missing anything. I bet you're just missing irrational exuberance. You know, maybe like, yeah, like <laughs> the exuberance is there, but the irrational level of exuberance isn't. And it's funny yeah. you say the thing that you just said, actually, one of the, this, the, like chat GPT and yada, 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 yada. It really has made a place where I wonder if the fact that we didn't go down that road is going to be just perfectly fine. I mean, it is perfectly, we're sitting here, so I guess it worked out okay, but it's going to be like perfectly fine and almost like we saved some time in a few years because it seems like the value is going to be who can come up with the right prompt. Right, and and conceptual understanding. Right. Which is how our like brains work. Technical execution on some of that stuff. And, yeah. and yeah, I think, I mean, again, if you are technical enough to do that, do it yeah you know but if I'm you're jealous. not i mean again i think again it's it's sort of the and, and we talk a lot about this at catch so andrew my co-founder um our cto he uh like has talked about this for a very long time where like designers shouldn't be thinking about like they shouldn't be optimizing their time for like rounding corners right and like changing hues and like because that that just like that isn't high value it's just like not where the high value work is and so really understanding like you know, I am not a designer either. I'm not a computer scientist. I'm not a designer, but like I can design better product than the vast majority of designers because I'm thinking about how it works, why it works, who's using it. Like those sorts of elements of design end up being so much more important, especially as a lot of these tools come out where you can be like, make a red box. <laughs> Done. Make a, make a green box, right? Yeah. Like you can sort of do those things and sort of bypass the need to like master some of the like yeah. pixel moving. It's, it's interesting. I think something else that we have in common that is, and we'll, then we'll get back to the actual story, um, <laughs> is like this, the random obsession that we have with all these different inputs. Like as we were standing out there talking with Eli before we started uh, recording, I mean, even just talking about standup, like the weird inputs that we have that are not just, you know, fintech or healthcare or, you know, just super Tech nerdy. Is, like is criticized for being very monoculture. For and good it reason, is. right? It like is. for good reason. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that like the richness of things you can do. I, I saw something about this recently about sort of it's like the opposite motion of your work. Like in order to maximize the work that you do, you need the equal and opposite. And mm -hmm. like it was this guy who was talking about learning tango. Right. And he's like, everything that I do at work is the exact opposite of everything that I do when I'm you know, dancing tango. And I, I thought that was just a huh. really interesting way to sort of frame that that importance. But yeah, like the the consulting work I did early in my career was was all around innovation. And like the basic concept was you need more dots, <laughs> then you need better dots, and then you just have to be good at connecting them. Yeah. Like that's it. And so it's like find more dots. Like tech sometimes struggles to find more dots. Yeah. And like that's like the first thing you have to do to do interesting things. Yeah. So I, I took mean, a job at Catch. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> there was a stop before. I don't know if you want. Do, do you want to talk about the stop before that? I'll, I'll talk about it briefly. I mean, I entered I entered venture back tech in fintech um, as the first hire of a company that was building a platform to do student debt repayment as an employer led benefit. Um, 
it's a tough space. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. it still exists. There are a lot of challenges, but being the first hire at a, at a venture back tech company is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's crazy and hard. Terrible. It's founder light. <laughs> it's founder light. It, yeah. it really is. And, and the funny thing is being here today, I don't know if you tell people where, where we are, we're in rise New York, yeah. right? I haven't so, said it in this one, but yeah. the people are going to be very confused as these come out. Cause I'm doing whatever three or four in a row and they're going to come out over whatever amount of time and yeah so we are at rise new york we are at rise new york yeah. and what this used to be was the tech stars barkley accelerator and right. so like the last time that i have spent time here was actually with that startup oh it <laughs> was of in really this last space. time wow. yeah and it's been you know six years or something like that so it's funny i kind of know where the bathrooms are it's like a very weird like throwback type experience so was yeah. it weird walking in it was it kind of strange feeling uh, it feels a lot uh it's much it's much more formalized and professional like six yeah. years ago it was a little bit more of like here's a sink and a bunch of coffee mugs like go fill up your water cup sort of thing now there's like an actual little cafe yeah you can like order espresso and stuff like that and pay eight dollars for it you know uh um, monetize yeah exactly yeah. uh so yeah i i worked you know and and my official i think my first title was head of growth I was again the first hire, so head meant a whole lot back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was growth, and then I did. There was no body. There but was you no were the body, head. <laughs> but I was the head. That happens a lot. Everyone knows that. As yeah. long as you're using words like head and not words like VP, like don't don't use VP. A VP at a ten person don't, startup. Continuously don't do it. Is don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Refrain from C level titles as long as you can. You don't look cool being CSO of a company that like has raised a seed it's just like not appropriate uh unless it was a chief seed officer but you know whatever yeah 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 so um yeah i got i got to do a lot of things i did i did growth i did operations i moved into product from there um because that's where sort of like looking at the organization i felt yeah. where the biggest deficiencies were of like okay the what why how of how this works how engineering works with design how things actually get put in front of our customers. So very self-taught in product, yeah. which I think, especially for folks who are, again, maybe over 30, there was no like product management track, or maybe it was the very beginnings of one when I finished college, you know, I think 12 years ago. The but. only way that our we could have done that would have been like going to Google back when they actually were the only ones doing like only the ones. product management training right, thing. And right. now it's like, yeah, formalized. And uh, totally yeah. Different. yeah. They were the only ones who did it a decade ago. And <laughs> also, did I just say our age? <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? As I'm struggling. Yeah. I'm having a, I'm having, I'm having a, an issue today. I said I wasn't age, that so. young anymore to someone who's <laughs> almost 50. And he's like, he's like, and you never will be. And I don't know. It just like hit oh, in a way that I was like, oh, you're right. So yeah, it, ha it no happens really back. quickly. In your early 30s, you, you start to see folks a decade younger than you, you know, accomplishing amazing things and, and which is which is great. Um, but yeah, it, happen it happens. Really fast. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. no, no real formal product training um, before that really, really self-taught. Um, through living in the business and, and working with customers and and trying to like make something um, that they wanted, which I guess is the journey to product market fit. So um, while I was doing that, I got an email actually while I was in this building <laughs> of someone. It's a perfect on, place for this interview. I know it's very funny uh, from someone who said, you know, like, hey, I've looked at your profile and and I think you'd be a good fit for head of product at my company. And I was like, well, that's hilarious because. 
I'm I'm not qualified for the job that I'm even doing right now. I'm figuring it out every day as I go. Most of my resume before this is nonprofit and education and like, So you're a perfect fit, Kristen. Anderson. Yeah, so it felt really weird. I was like, what do you what do you mean I'm like a fit? I'm not a fit for anything. Uh, I had skills. I was interesting. Right. But I but I wasn't like a, a natural fit for for really any type of job. Um and I, you know, I took a call. I was like, you got to take a call, but I wasn't really looking to leave. And so the the first, you know, one of the first couple questions was like, you know, what, what salary would it take to get you to leave your current job? Let me just start with that. Cause I was like, I'm not looking. So I threw out a number that I thought was insanely ridiculous, <laughs> insanely ridiculous. And, uh, and yeah, this wasn't that long ago. I was, was I was about, okay. I was about to say, how old were you at this point? I was 29. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was 29. Um, and you know, I, I had, I had just cracked six figures Yeah. and I thought I was making bank, right? Yeah. I was making a hundred thousand dollars a year and I was like, I am rich AF yeah. and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I make a huge amount of money. And for, you know, at an early stage startup, that is a, a really good salary. And so I threw out this number that was like, I thought was insane. Uh, you know, and, and he goes, okay, well, let's just like put your mind at ease. That's not a problem. I was like, what? <laughs> like, God I should have said it. double, right? Yeah. Like, I should, yeah. I should have doubled that number. Um, so anyway, obviously that caught my attention um, as as a means to have a, a next conversation. But you know, ultimately through through a couple conversations with this this guy who I did not know at the time was twenty three years old. <laughs> Again, these kids like a decade younger than you. You're like, when did this happen? But um, like he, he because I know the punchline. This is hilarious. But carry on. <laughs> <laughs> is there a punchline? It's my life, dude. Well, no, the punchline is he's your fucking husband now. Uh, we're actually not married yet. Oh, the <laughs> the punchline is he's your baby daddy. That's true. That is true. Okay, that is a punchline. See? I suppose. It is also still my life. I mean, yeah, your life's entertaining. We did this on purpose. Right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh yeah. So anyway, this 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 young kid. This young kid. This whippersnapper kinda, of a CEO. Kind of kept me on the hook with this really interesting product had bootstrapped some funding and was looking for someone to lead product building this thing that like sounded kind of cool. But I wasn't necessarily like out the door because I felt fairly invested in my company. But yeah. I think I got to this point and I've, I've sort of said this, this publicly before, but like when you are not a founder, like you have a decision about like, do you agree with the fact like all founders are crazy. They're yep. all crazy. They have their own brand. There are different types. Like all founders have their shtick like yep. is it you know whatever it is and you get to decide whether or not that's that crazy is okay for you yep and i think there was just like there were enough things where i felt like i didn't have the influence that i wanted to have at the company i was at and i felt like decisions that i thought were important weren't being made like so i decided to take this other job you know and that's a hard thing like anyone who's been a first employee and had to leave like or even first five be, first right. ten like it's it that hard. yeah number one is a huge thing but i think like when i was at bloom i think i was like number two three but i think that in my experience it goes all the way until like 10 11 like i it kind of feels to me like until you get to that that tipping point where the culture breaks at like 15 or 20 and then you have yeah. to rebuild it like all of those people have that level and yeah, of commitment yeah and, and, and disagreement and yeah yeah like right and that's and that's totally okay but it is it can it can be hard yeah right? and it's and it's obviously hard for founders too i've now sat right on the other side of the table <laughs> yeah. and seen that it's definitely hard um but i you know made the decision to leave and take this job leading product 
it was a, it was a job. I got hired off of AngelList. Yeah. Um, and within a couple months, I had become COO. Um, with a couple months after that, we got into Y Combinator. I was, you know, officially a co-founder and and sort of earning equity as a co-founder. Um, and then again, you know, fast forward five years, uh, <laughs> Andrew and I are engaged. Uh, we we are officially engaged. We've been engaged for like a very long time. I didn't even realize how long it had been. But we haven't gotten married. We've been a little busy, and uh, we have a, a, <laughs> an, a toddler at home and a second kid on the way. So, I, you know, these these stories are. There are obviously a million stories that will never fit into a single hour yeah. of, of a podcast. But I think it's like early stage startups are messy, and mess isn't always bad. And that, like, if you like early stage startups and want to be at early stage startups, you should know that. And if you don't, that's okay too. But I think yeah. there's a lot of expectation right now that like early stage companies are going to operate like Google, and like they just don't, and they won't. And there's just a huge mismatch when they you approach can't. it. Then they shouldn't. It shouldn't. Can't. <laughs> there's like so many levels as to. Yeah. I mean, as soon as, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I had a yeah. conversation recently with a friend that's working at a really early stage startup that was upset that their benefits weren't that great, and it's like, yeah, I yeah, but you did. You chose to work at a pre-series A. Like right. they've raised a decent seed, but like, I put yourself in the CEO's shoes. Should they have a four hundred one k? Should right. they have the best health insurance? Should like. Really, should they? Is if you that were a the, good decision, is that smart? Company, yeah. As a fiduciary, is that what they should do? Right. And to me, I think, I mean, like that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy point of view gun mm-hmm. would be very helpful yeah. for a lot of people in the world. Because I, I, I have yet that you to just ever reference that book. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have yet to ever be a CEO, but I'm friends with enough of them but that i feel like i have the empathy yeah enough empathy to know that i don't know you know like i don't know what making that decision was like i don't know what sitting in that seat is like but i think that a lot of people that never have really believe that they do know what that's like yeah and i think that like people talk a lot in the abstract about an ownership mindset sure um and it it like it, it is it is often really like polished in the way people talk about it as like it means you're like accountable for your work sure yes it means that but like an ownership mindset is where like you're not sleeping even though you're not in that seat because you're thinking about problems that have nothing to do with your job and like this and this is who i was before i even sat in that chair and I, i think that's one of the things is that it isn't necessarily a super easy thing to teach and like it wasn't good. It wasn't necessarily good. And so it's like it's not healthy. Mindset isn't it isn't always healthy. No. It's like, but I would like not sleep because decisions were being made at the company in departments that had nothing to do with me on yeah. teams that were like not mine. And that yeah. like I just was like, this is bad. And yeah. like, this isn't what I want. And how would I fix this? And how could I fix it? Um, but like that's the that's the ugly side of it. And you can say, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. And it's like, it's just who I am. Like, it's just who I am. <laughs> and it's it comes back to the whole, like, all CEOs are crazy thing. Yep. I kind of doubt that you're a fan of this person, but I w- would guess you've heard of him and probably agree with some of it. But Jocko Willink, have you ever? I don't know if I know who that is. So he's an ex-Navy SEAL. He wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Yeah. Which is, like, 
I mean, he literally, he sounds like this, like the, the, the audio book yeah. sounds exactly like this. And it is about taking extreme ownership. He's been like punched in the throat a bunch of times. He is, he came out of the womb, punched in the, his mother punched him in the throat before he even came out. And, but it's all about extreme ownership and taking responsibility for everything around you. And there is nothing that's not your responsibility. Like yeah. it's, it, and it's the douchiest book in so many ways. Like it's just such a like male oriented war book yeah. in so many ways but it is also a one i mean the book is designed to connect it to business and mm -hmm. the idea of like what they learned in the seals connects to leadership and business yada yeah. yada yada sure. um but it is a lot of this and it's one of the weird things where like some of the best one of the things that i look for in people is that is that like yeah. like i've noticed recently that a lot of the people that i know i should hire but i and that I'm starting to hire are the ones that drive me fucking insane. <laughs> and it's people that are like all up in my shit and are like convinced that they know, but are willing to shut the fuck up after we have the conversation yeah. about it. But like totally in other people's business. Yeah. But for the sake of the brand and for the sake of, you right. know, caring and, and I getting used stuff done. and getting stuff done. And yeah. I used to think that that was a terrible thing. And I used to think separate church and say, I used to think, leave me alone. And now I'm like, I actually really value that trait. Right. Yeah. It's it's really hard. Again, when you when you say that, when you're a CEO, people are like, you just want to exploit your workers. It's like, no, no. It, it's that like, I want us to all be rowing in the same direction. And like, and again, th this isn't to say that work-life balance doesn't matter. This isn't to say that like, you can choose a different path. This is to say that early stage startups are hard yeah. and require a level of dedication that most people don't want to give their work. And that's okay. Yeah. Like it's totally fine to be like, you know what? I want to go to a big company that has great benefits and like is going to just like ship in my lunch. And I, you know, and I think that's, that's okay. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't have a problem with people wanting that, but yeah. I think the hard thing is when those people seem to get like infuriated at the idea that other people might choose something different. Yeah. Or the Google shipped in your lunch and you're eating it and writing a blog post about how Google's evil. How, at how, your inhumane, <laughs> how inhumane it is while your lunch is being delivered and, and you're, you're making, you know, total comp 750 K. Yeah. I, I don't even know like what, the word total comp means because at a private company, your equity is worthless until it isn't. Yeah. So it's like, you know, public companies, obviously it's very different, but like the early stage, you're like, yeah, I have a shit ton of ownership in this thing that like on paper is real valuable, but like yeah. I got bills and yeah. they're not taking that paper. Yeah. So, you know, and that's why it's like, if, if you're worried about, I mean, if like there's a health issue, whatever, like the yeah. world, the health insurance is important. You should have it. And we'll actually get into what catch does and, more of that yeah. Yeah. um but like if you're at a place where the first question you ask is about the 401k or is about the benefit yeah. like probably you're not meant to be in startups early stage early stage i guess it's yeah, like yeah, what, yeah, do we, yeah. what do we consider a startup is a whole other conversation like you know later yeah. stage companies can yeah. start to provide those things sure. and, and should and should be put in the position of having to answer those those questions but uh, yeah, I, I think at the like in the early sort of and I say early is sort of like pre-series B. Yeah, I just think of it as like before it's a Navy ship, like pirate ship a before a Navy ship. people type thing, like maybe a hundred yeah. people. Like You define a hundred people as early stage? I think I would define 50 as early stage for sure. That's fair. I define it as like 15 or like 25 Yeah, I or think something. it really, it depends on the business. Some businesses yeah. have a lot of headcount because they do That's a lot true. of stuff manually. That's it true. really depends on yeah. the business. Like, I guess just like post-product market fit. It, 
I don't know. Which sounds like it makes it simpler, but that's actually it a much make harder it line at all. to figure out. Yeah. Right? Plenty of companies make a lot of money. Like lots of companies are on five million ARR that don't have product market fit. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, OpenAI or whatever is a weird counter example. There's yeah, yeah. a lot of bizarre. Yeah, it's hard. Like I agree with that conceptually. It's just like yeah. a hard metric to practically yeah. put in place. But yeah, there. Let's just say there is a line. Yeah, where companies should start having to answer questions around. You know, and again, to be clear, we provide health insurance. We yeah. do four hundred one k match. We're pre Series B. We do benefits. We do those sorts of things because yeah. we think they're important and we've invested in them. But like. You know, it's at will employment. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's, you know, there there's are, levels to if it. If you are if you're qualified to work at a tech company, there are job openings. Yeah. Know, even even in this market. Like there there are. And I know again, layoffs can be scary, but like there are a lot of job openings and, and maybe it's just that you're not gonna be able to make, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year anymore. <laughs> it also seems like a lot of those jobs are still open though, too. I mean, I know that layoffs are happening and everything, yeah. but I, I don't know. I, I'm struggling with the macroeconomic situation right now because I, I I have what is maybe not a very popular opinion, but I I have a hunch, a belief, an opinion that a lot of the layoffs that we're seeing in the world are, oh, they laid people off. I can do it, too. Like, mm. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know all of the balance sheets. I don't know all yeah. the income statements. I don't have that kind of a macroeconomic view, but. I think that there is a sense that a lot of companies have become overbloated. And now if one company lays off, the other companies have an excuse to do so. I don't know. Interesting. I, I don't necessarily disagree. I don't think that's the reason they're doing it. I, I mean, I think that's... I don't think it's that simplistic for I, the record. I, th I think there was a lot of overhiring. Yeah. There was a lot of overhiring because the market allowed overhiring. And I think a lot of companies are saying, how much are we spending for people whose jobs we can't remotely yeah. tie to revenue? Yeah. Or like, in, the, in private markets, like we got to do something with this cash that we just raised because right. the valuation had to go up because we decided it had to go up right. in, in exuberance and whatever. This episode of For Fintech's Sake is brought to you by our friends at Navin, formerly Trip Actions. This is one of those partners that gives me FOMO, y'all. I don't get to use Navin at work and after getting to know their team, seeing the product in action and constantly feeling the pain of travel related expenses and expenses in general, which I'm terrible at. This is one product that I truly wish I could use every time I travel or spend money at work. Why? Navin is an all-in-one travel corporate card and expense management solution that provides real-time visibility control and cost savings. Yes, all of those things, one product. It goes way beyond being a global travel agency. We're talking full stack corporate card issuing, payments, expense management, and spend reporting designed for people, not corporations. Yes, that means hold on to your seats, folks. The UX is not terrible. That's right. Believe it or not, it's actually built with the end user in mind. It's actually a joy to use. You know how most software is built to make life easier and you'll be in good company. Brands that use Navin, formerly Trip Actions, as I mentioned before, to simplify their travel and expense management include Lyft, Heineken, Okta, Toast, and so many more. Learn more at navin.com. But yeah, I think it's like you you look at headcount. I oh my god, this was this was the other thing. I don't know if you saw it going around people talking about Tim Cook's salary. Uh uh. 
So people were like, Apple hasn't done layoffs. Instead, Tim Cook took a $50 million pay cut this year. <laughs> Way to go, Apple. Now, I love Apple. I, I think Apple yeah. is a well-run company. I, I yeah. you know, but... It's just like you clearly don't understand what like a massive enterprise balance sheet looks like to think that $50 million is enough to like prevent layoffs. <laughs> no shit. Right? Like they they're, earn that on interest and like the balances they hold in cash. Yeah, their like, cash position alone. No, it's a gesture. It's a gesture of saying like we need to think differently about our margin and I'll take my equity or my compensation in other forms. And I think that's that's fine, obviously. I think his his current salary is now 50 million instead of 100 million. So it's like a 50% pay cut. I also think it was forced on him by the board. I'm not sure that it was even like, I don't know. But the whole point was sort of like all these people were like applauding, like this is how good companies are run. And I was like, I think a lot of companies are looking at their payrolls and saying, we're paying who, how much? Yeah. How does that generate revenue for us? Mm -hmm. It's how many lines down the chain before it, like there are a lot of positions that were created in the last couple of years that just like, had nothing to do with delivering product or getting customers. And that's what companies do. And and I think that like people are very outraged about that. But it's like, you know what? We have people on the catch team because salaries exploded in 2021, mm -hmm. right? Like salaries exploded. Like we have people whose salaries have more than doubled in their tenure with catch because we had to keep pace with market because we yeah. didn't want to lose people that we had. And it's like nobody talked about that aspect of it. Right. But, like salaries exploded. And that is now being looked at a little bit. And people are like, I'm not, I mean, we we had, I I won't give any details. So anyone, I don't even know if I remember this person's name. But we had an, <laughs> I think we're going to be okay then on yeah, whatever you're about to say. We had a candidate who accepted a job offer who was an engineer two years out of school. Okay. And she seemed awesome. She had like really good experience, but was two years out of school, like early in her career. Yeah. And we gave her an offer in... in maybe late 2020, early 2021 okay. uh, for $180,000 okay. that we felt was high for someone that early in their career. But we prized value, like diversity on our engineering team. Yeah. She seemed really talented. She seemed promising, you know, like all that sort of stuff. She accepted the offer <laughs> and then rescinded and said, I just got another offer for 210. Can you match that? And we were like, no, <laughs> like we just can't. $210,000 for a 24-year-old engineer who like didn't and, and wasn't like, you know, perfect decade of experience right. coding in our space. Yeah. You know, just like a talented two-year yeah. experience engineer. Yeah. It was like a fang company or something. They were... No, it was a startup. It was a series. Oh, it shit. was a series C startup. Yeah, but it was right at the time when those companies were raising like four hundred million dollar rounds yeah. at these ridiculous valuations. Yeah, and then they just pumped that money into these early stage. And so, like, yeah. yeah, companies are laying off people like her. And again, she's talented. I don't. I have no idea where she ended up. I have yeah, no yeah, idea what job yeah. she ended up with. But like, she's if probably she's, okay. If she's getting laid off right now, I'm kind of like. Yeah, because 210 is not an appropriate salary. Yeah. You know? And I get I know that makes me sound very much get off my lawn, but like the market is adjusting for salary bloat as well as overhiring, and people are kind of only talking about the overhiring aspect. Well, it, 
but that's my thing is people are barely talking about the overhiring aspect. They're mostly talking to that I'm hearing about the macros. It's just like, well, it's about inflation. It's about profit the interest rate. It's, it's greedy profit seeking. Exactly. Companies. Yeah. It's it's about it's about some <laughs> macroeconomic situation that leads to us needing this and that like I, to be clear, companies seeking profit is literally mandated by law. What do you mean? They have like a fiduciary? Like Correct. Fidu- that like, is what a fiduciary their, obligation is, is that you like, are returning profit. To shareholders? You mean not the ocean? I thought that we were supposed to... I mean, to, again, I, thought, I, I have problems with, with fiduciary. <laughs> I think it does have deficiencies. I think the shareholder mania can create really, really bad incentives. Oh, it can create but, terrible incentives. But the fact remains when people are like, this company's trying to make money. You're like... <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Right answer. Yeah, uh, yes, they this... are trying to make money. That's right. And you can disagree with that premise, but like not only are they trying to make money, they are legally obligated to try to make money. Right. <laughs> and to try to do what they can to make money. And you can, of course, make the case that like paying your people well, having talented people and stuff like that. And to be clear, these companies have done that. They've paid people well. <laughs> and But like it's just the... The weird part to me is that we still as an industry have employee count as a vanity metric to your to that earlier conversation we were having. Ask me how many people work at Catch right now. I don't uh, I guess I'll do what you tell me. It is you. Well, how many people work at Catch right now? Twelve. Really? Correct. Is it? Leverage. Leverage is way sexier than employee headcount. When so when you just when you talk about leverage, you talk about like you're referring to like the tooling they're using, yes. you're referring to like the internal the infrastructure that's yeah. been built in so, order to. It's a fairly boring example, but, you know, Catch sells health insurance and we're extremely regulated in how we sell yeah. health insurance because we're built into the back end of the U.S. government. Describe, give us, this is a good spot to yeah. actually like give a little bit more, a little bit more on Catch. Catch. Yeah. We yeah. provide benefits to people who don't get benefits through work. Uh, so freelancers, contractors, part-timers. Um, you know, W-2s at small businesses that aren't yep. providing things like health insurance and retirement, we do that for them. We're a direct-to-consumer product. We do taxes, we do retirement investment, and we do health insurance. And we do health insurance by selling individual health insurance plans, the things you would find on healthcare.gov. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say things that you would find on healthcare.gov is because we are built into the back end of healthcare.gov. Um, and that's an extremely regulated integration, as you can imagine. Not just anyone can use those APIs. And there's a massive audit process and there's a ton of oversight, lots of paperwork, very yeah. annoying, very mundane. But that is one piece of what Catch does. Right. <laughs> right. We do. We have banking services. We have investment services and we do that health insurance stuff. And we built our audit system to be completely run. Here's a plug for a company I love in Notion. Yeah. And the reason why it's so valuable is because we have no like no massive management team that has to go through and update a bunch of PDFs on what our policies are. Things are updated real time, they're updated within our system. It is not it is not just to allow us to keep lower headcount. It actually is more secure. Yeah. <laughs> because things are happening as they're tied to reality and not just sitting separately in documents. And so, you know, when we talk to other competitors or people who have the same integration that we have, they have compliance teams of five to ten people, but they're not actually passing any bar better. It's just that they haven't created leverage. So right. when I hear employee count as a vanity metric, I'm always just kind of like, maybe it just means you aren't very efficient. <laughs> like maybe That's it means mostly that what like it means in my head, not yeah. doing a good job building systems that maintain themselves and yeah. finding a way to like use the documentation as a real living thing. 
you know, again, it's a silly, it's a silly little example, but like I think the the metric that's going to come back in vogue, at least for raising capital, is revenue per headcount. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your revenue per? Employee? Yeah, we haven't heard that in a long time. Right. Yeah. Revenue per employee is a really sexy metric <laughs> because if you can say like every single and again, companies like Google actually have very high revenue per headcount. They do, yeah. which is part of why they pay their employees so much. Right. right? But right. like early stage startups have not been using that as yeah. a measure of like their own product market yeah. fit or efficiency or like success yeah. or anything like that. You're right. And I think it's because sometimes I'm going to make a projection here about what VCs are thinking. So that's always risky. <laughs> But I think sometimes it's that like VCs are looking for a certain amount of headcount because they want you to prove, especially as an early stage first time founder, that you can manage an organization. And saying okay. that you have a hundred people who work for you mean that like you've built out a certain amount of expertise around systems and people issues and hiring and scaling hiring and all those things are really important for yeah. companies to scale. Yeah. But like they use it as a proxy really, really early when what they should be using as a proxy early on is that efficiency metric and the ability to like generate revenue without just stacking headcount. One of the things that has blown my mind the most, and I think that we're, we're going away from it, is how much company building has started happening before product building is done. I mean, that is like a very strong trend, I feel like, over the last few years. I mean, never mind. Um, (laughs) Sipping on my water over here. Just sip your water, and uh, (laughs) we just had an entire conversation without having to have it. Um, But yeah, I mean, the... the, And and to what we were talking about earlier, just in terms of like companies have to do something with that check, right? Like they... They came up with a story as they were raising about what they were going to go do and execute with. And it does always really interest me that there isn't more of a reaction to the market after those fundraises. Like, okay, I raised $30 million. Okay, I raised $40 million, whatever it is. But all of a sudden things take a turn thereafter, but they still go on a hiring spree most of the time. And after don't the round is after the round is closed, yeah. even even if like shit hits the fan directly, like you you raise yeah. the most perfectly timed round ever, like the world is ending. You just raised your round, and you still are like okay, scorch earth. Well, I've heard I've heard this framed as like incentives are really messed up right now because LPs are very slow right now. Yeah, like they are like very very slow. VCs, as much as they have dry powder, are also moving slow. Like what dry powder means at a VC, like people are like, well, the VCs raise these huge funds, so like they have to spend it. Well, they have to spend it over like five to 10 years. Yeah, it's like, not that straightforward. They don't have to spend it in six months, no. right? And so I think, you know, the, the the time horizon with which they have to deploy is often not really realized by founders. And so they're like, well, so-and-so just raised a huge fund. I'm like, yeah, but they could literally not make one investment this year and their LPs would be fine with that, right? Like, They'd maybe actually applaud it. Right, they might be happy about it. But at the same time, those two slowdowns are happening because the market has turned and caused those two funding groups to slow down. The expectations that founders will move faster has come at the same time. Oh, of course. And so it's like this like horrible, just like friction of like, okay, so I I get why those parties have slowed down, but the bar has also been raised on founders. And I think a lot of founders 
are not, again, it depends on your breed of founder, but there is a class of founder, particularly business school, fang experience type founder who has never learned to create leverage and has always built through building companies. Yeah. Right. And has always built by like adding headcount. And they have a ton of skills in those areas, right? Like executive management is a skill, it's yeah. a different skill. And so things like scrappy things like, Andrew and I built out our Notion doc right. <laughs> for that compliance audit process. And it is a beast. It's heinous. It's like hundreds and hundreds of like really technical controls that tie to specific pieces of our infrastructure and how code is deployed and all that sort of stuff. And we did that system building ourselves yeah. because it would have cost us way more. Like we have always been thoughtful and scrappy about finding leverage. And so I, I think it's like, Founders are now in a position where they have to move faster, but a lot of the founders who have been getting those mega rounds are that like pedigreed founder who has never been the leverage finder, chip on their shoulder type builder before. Well, and they innately have this set of skills that is not built to find product market fit. It is built right. to take a product that has expand to expand, and like not only that, like. A product that has such good product market fit that it can't fuck they can't fuck it up you know like that's right. most of what they are like it's right. not even really oh let's let's iterate on it let's it's, improve it's let's the, make the product worse and right. let's make the headcount higher and then you should pay me a lot for that the good ones are the good ones are one to teners the average ones are 10 to 100ers, yeah. but they're all raising money as zero to oneers. Exactly. And like, that's- the, That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the good ones are ones who are like pretty good at one to 10, but like zero to one founders just like inherently are very different. And, you know, I, maybe I didn't say like where I went to school, but maybe you've guessed I'm not pedigreed, <laughs> right? Like I, I you know, I, I didn't go to a, a bad school, but I didn't go to one of the schools that people are throwing money at. And I think it's, it's like- a personal pet peeve as a female CEO. When people talk about diversity metrics, they often talk about the ones that like absolutely ignore pedigree. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, we've founded this woman of color. I'm like, that's awesome. Do more of that. Yeah. But she shouldn't have to have gone to Stanford and gotten an MD and yeah. spent a decade yeah. like working for Obama. Like, right. you know, that's yeah. great. It's yeah. great that she's funded, you know, whomever this person is that I just made up. But like, it's great no, that but she's funded. They have to be to that level of just fucking insanity right. to get any attention. The amount of pedigree attention. they have yeah. to even raise money is so high. It's like, but that's, but that's not actually typically who makes great zero to one founders. And like, you know, great zero to one founders are like people who uh, went to community college. Sorry, there's someone standing outside the, the window. John Zanoff Maybe and Ron you know. Williams are now part of this uh, part of this uh, this conversation here. I think John really actually wanted to come in just now. I think that is three for three on John interrupting the podcast now. Oh, today. he he, sh he should have like a guest mic. I invited him. Oh. I invite. I was like, I'll set up a, I'll set up a third for you if you want to just pop in. And it's John, so he's like, what, what are the subjects? And like, oh yeah, I'm he's, like, he's a preparer. He like likes to he know. He comes from some pedigree himself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking guy. of that, I speaking know. of that pedigree, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's, he's not one to he's just like funny. 
and he's broken the mold, but he's still got that pedigree on yeah. the surface. He yeah. doesn't he doesn't like to let everybody know who he, you know, let let everybody used to be. see that funny side. <laughs> oh, well, that's the, true. <laughs> the, yeah, not everybody gets to see his funny side and not everybody does know about the background of the background of the Black Rock and all the, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, not everybody mm-hmm. knows all that. Mm-hmm. Not that we're outing you, John, but it's your fault for coming and <laughs> sticking your face right there. Um, what were we talking about? Founders with pedigree. Oh, yeah. And and funding and and yeah. Zero zero to one. Like yeah. what early stage the, business really takes. The way that you just phrased that with the zero to one versus the one to ten versus the ten to a hundred is very Yeah. Very apt. Yeah. And it's, and it's easy to be critical as someone who's zero to one when I see these ten to one hundreders come into my space. But I think you know, as I as I mature yeah. a little here and there. Slowly. Uh I realize the value that those people have, right? I, I yeah. think it's just like you said, putting those people in place before product market fit is like knocked out of the park. And I think I, some certain groups, maybe first round, there are some VCs who have written about that thing, but like scaling organizational building is really hard. It's just a very different skill. It's just totally different. And if you put someone who's excellent at one in the position of the other, you end up and capital was so loose that we yeah. got a whole bunch of people who just like raised a bunch of money and the only way they could think of how to spend it was to hire people to do things yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, I might struggle on the other side where sometimes I'm like, why would I ever hire someone to do something that I could do? And that, you know, that's the problem that yeah. zero to one founders often have is that like But your board will get you the fuck out of the way before you can really have yeah, that that's problem. True. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> yeah. You're not long for that. I mean, once Fair. it's, you know, a thousand people or whatever, I mean, I think you're right. I, you're I mean, I I joke, but you are the kind of person I think that could scale into that if you wanted to. I think the question would just be if you wanted to. Yeah, well, and and the answer on side, and I don't know, it's always difficult to say things that you think will survive well. Right. <laughs> but I, I would say that like a thousand employees is a lot. It's a huge, and, huge. And it's hard, you know, it's hard for me to imagine catch needing 5,000 employees. Right. In, in, in any iteration because of how much we've built leverage in. And I and I say that knowing, OK, like, well, if there's a future where we have five, you know, yeah. people will play it back and be like, you said you'd never get that big. But like, I, I really do believe that you can have a massively profitable like venture exit like scenario that like is not happening with thousands of people. Yeah. Um, and I think I think a lot of that is through tooling and process and a lot yeah. of the things you can do to build leverage. And a lot of people aren't thinking about that. But like, again, maybe it sounds a little simpy, but like chat GPT, like changes a lot for like, a, like, I, I think one one thing we did just like for fun is we were like, you know, what are what are 10 blogs that freelancers would want to know about? And like got the got the subject lines. Then mm-hmm. we like took each one and it's like, what's the most important thing freelancers need to learn about creating their LLC? Right. Like and you can literally like write blogs on this stuff. Like and if you're a content producer, you shouldn't be scared by that. Yeah. You should be excited about the leverage that that gives you. And you should be looking at those sorts of things. And I think like People have talked about how there were there have been a couple exits of Mark that people know about, like WhatsApp and Instagram, like small teams, billion dollar plus outcomes. Um, But there's a reason we always talk about those few because there's a few. Right. I think that's changing, though. I think there will be more and more and more in the next 20 years of companies that are very small that create huge amounts of leverage that can just like 
print money. Well, it makes I mean, it's especially scary. again, all these like, yeah, capitalist haters like might have beyond to something there. But well, I think it's possible. I mean, I, I think it's it's interesting the way that there's a lot of corollaries, right? Like Microsoft invests $10 billion in open AI and simultaneously does a number of layoffs, right? Yeah. Like not necessarily that those two things are correlated, yeah. but like if you draw that line out far enough into the future, those things are correlated. Right, right, right. <laughs> They're like directionally pointing towards certain things. Exactly. Right? And like, yeah, like, and and what your technology does and what it needs to do, right? Like Craigslist does like a billion dollars of revenue with like 50 people. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and I, even the non that's awesome <laughs> in non technology companies, that's true in weird ways too. Like even I mean Berkshire's like what twenty twenty five people or something like yeah. that, yeah. and they could have made that thing gigantic. Like right. it could have had right. all of the process and system and right. everything that have ever existed. And as as a society, so taking off my CEO hat for a minute, as like a member of society that is concerned about inequality, like yeah, we should be thinking about that. Yeah. We should be aware of it. But I personally don't feel like the solution is being like, damn you, Google, <laughs> for laying people off this inhumane capitalist system. I'm like, the inhumane aspect is that 50 people at Craigslist can make a billion dollars. Like, that's the sort of stuff yeah. you got to like think about. And again, like, I'm not saying they should be shut down or, or regulated out of existence or whatever, but like, we should be conscious of those effects and I feel like a lot of times we're like sort of misplacing the frustration around societal inequality when like Google's doing its part by hiring hundreds of thousands of people, paying them like top 1% salaries. And like, I don't know, I, I you know, they, they might have other deficiencies, but like not doing their job of like hiring enough people is not one of Google's problems. <laughs> well, and it's not their job, too. Right, I mean, right. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Like one of the things that Vinod said, um, you're one of your investors. Uh, when I was interviewing him in Vegas was he like basically challenged the entire financial industry to lower its margins. Yeah. And I thought that was a really, really interesting thing that is also correlated to lower your fucking headcounts. OK, yeah, 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 totally. You, you, know? you know, the guys that at. um Reggie and, and Matt at Lithic. Yeah. You know, they do a, a podcast. They were just asking of like a, an ask of like, what, what do you think we should talk about? And the question that I asked them was, do we think that fast money movement will ever be cheap for consumers? Mm. Right. Like is is the cost like what percentage of the cost is built in friction and fraud protection? Mm -hmm. What percentage of the cost is opportunistic margin taking by companies that have a regulatory moat? Yeah. Like how like instant money movement right now, like if your roommate pays you through Cash App or, right. you know, Zelle or something like that to get your money tomorrow, Three like 50 bucks or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, yeah. right? Like that's absurd. Yeah. Like that's a huge, huge cost for people to get their money faster. Yeah. Um so I think there there's a really interesting question about that of like what is just margin for the sake of we can. Yeah. You know, and, and again, margin for the sake are, of safety are, and risk and right. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot that we still need to do on those sorts of questions of like what is capital efficiency and like Yeah. You know, Jamie Dimon was speaking at an event I was at a couple months ago and he was sort of like, yeah, we charge a lot for money movement because moving money is expensive. He's like, it's expensive to have all the systems in place that can actually move millions of dollars across hundreds of countries. And like, you know, obviously he has a, a vested interest in saying that, but 
new technology is making it so that's not necessarily as true as it was even five years ago. And I think yeah. that's exciting. It is. It is. And also it's, I feel like there, there's a weird thing with the Jamie Diamonds of the world where they say one thing, but the R&D and general development that's happening inside of the organization is, is different. Like, you yeah, got to protect the core. Yeah, well, you got to protect the core, but also like they're working on yeah. all of the other Blockchain, stuff. Like they're investing yeah. huge. I mean, that was actually uh, I really like that talk at, at Money 2020 this year from the JP Morgan guy who leads. Oh, yeah. Um my brain is exhausted enough yeah. that I'm not able to think of it. But yes, yeah. I know who you're talking about. There was a guy about. at yeah. 2020 who was on stage with, with, uh, I want to say Serena and Scarlett, right? Oh, that, that there, was, there was a different JP Morgan one um, that what? I thought you they were referring. more than two employees? <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> uh, and they had more than one person speak at Money 2020. Yeah. Um, Takis yes. uh, Georgiakopoulos. Yes. I'm sure that I butchered his last name. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah. 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 Really, I mean, again, he's the one sort of on that leading he's edge sharp. of like, he's, how do we yeah. think about money movement everywhere? What is What was the one that just got all the Oscar nods? Everything, everywhere. everything, everywhere, all at all once. All at once. Yeah, that's how money, money moves. Yeah. Have you watched be. that yet? No, I heard it's good. I got, I got a toddler and like yeah. a company. I yeah. don't watch movies. I was like, I had so many friends tell me to watch it that I watched it. I watched the first half of it with someone, and I just like you just couldn't it. get through. I mean, I the person I was watching it with was is not big on just movies that are outside of like the norm, and okay. it was a very strange like a vibe. Weird, yeah. Um. So we didn't get through the second half of it but I yeah see. yeah maybe the little... first person i've heard who didn't love it well that's because i didn't get to fucking finish it maybe of, you should do that i'm gonna do that i yeah. think maybe on like the not on the flight home i have to work but at some point i, I will find a time to watch a movie by myself I know. that's not I, gonna happen i found like you know this is this podcast is covering everything from fintech to coming on now welcome to preg- for fintech I'm into, like pregnancy yeah. tips now yeah so. people always get confused they're like why are we talking about fintech and i'm like because you do that everywhere else yeah, and we that. will talk about it if you want to but sure. like you know, yeah, whatever. I could talk about that all day. Yeah. But uh, when you're like real pregnant, you're you're like making connections is is effort. I mean, it's always effort, but obviously it's really important for my job that I'm able to like make lots of connections. Just because it's like tiring or because you're pregnant and people look at you like, hey, no, pregnant lady. It's tiring. OK, like, you're, I was you're, like, that's what like, I thought you like meant. This, like brain fog. And I like I hesitate to even say that because I don't want people to like undervalue pregnant women or their ability to contribute. But like brain fog is real and like it's pretty understandable that if you're growing a human yeah, inside you yeah and also i think like your brain seems just fine anyway but, like, in order yeah. to keep my brain fine yeah i can't take on content right now that pushes me too much oh that's fair that's kind of like that's my compromise yeah. is like you know people were like white lotus or whatever like the glass onion and all this yeah. stuff i'm oh, like i can't you right could now. watch glass onion i don't know you'd be fine i don't know if i can it's, it's super dumb <laughs> it's not you're smart enough even with pregnancy I brain i promise i like i can't take on any new content new actors new storylines new like so you know what i'm watching right now seinfeld reruns i don't know oh that would that would be a good one i'm watching the x-files no shit <laughs> yeah i'm watching all the old x-files and like Sully i never watched that i think i was like two oh, years man. too young for like x-files to make it in my life when i was a kid but it was the scariest thing i'd ever seen in my life and now it's also funny because the technology has changed so much see so see like some of the effects and i'm like this isn't scary at all okay the effects are so bad um, but it's like, it's like enough stimulation for like while I'm working at night to like have on, but like doesn't actually require my brain to like 
solve any problems that's crazy because it used to <laughs> it used to scare the living shit out of me i know literally. when i was little i thought it was the scariest thing that had ever happened i still think it I, yeah i'm still convinced that it is i'm not going back to watch know, it to get we a second opinion when it came out we were yeah. like pretty little i think the first season was like the it was the 90s first season it was definitely 90, in the 90s seven something like that so it was definitely we were, we were young yeah. yeah i think it was like 10 11 i turned it on for like three minutes and i was like this is scary yeah i turned yeah. it off and i never went back yeah that's that's a fair response from a child watching this yeah show. yeah do you like scary movies i hate scary movies i don't understand the idea of paying to be scared yeah i hate scary movies I, I watched one in high school with some some girlfriends and then we like had a sleepover and they like put me closest to the window. And I just remember at that point being like, if I survive this night, one, these girls are no longer my friends. <laughs> and two, I will like never willingly watch a scare. And I think the movie was like the grudge. It's like not even one of like the really scary ones, but it was like enough of us. And I was just like, no, I don't care about popularity. I don't care about having friends. If I survive the night, like my commitment to God is so <laughs> I will such never a religious watch, person. I know I'm now religious yeah. because I will never watch a scary. You're like the person that's about to die that's like, okay, I will believe in you. I will never do this again if, <laughs> if I survive. If I survive this, this sleepover night. with other girls. I will. At like sixteen or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, that sounds touch and go for sure. Yeah, worked out well. Yeah, you seem to be doing okay. Yeah. You seem to be doing okay. Do we need to talk about fintech at all? I mean, we can if you okay. want. I mean, the me. the hard part about it is that most of the fintech things that you and I uh, tend to get into are things that um, we might have to have all listeners sign an NDA for. Yeah, I can't do that. Or that we might have to. Uh, yeah, like okay. we, we need like a gossip anonymous. I, that, I should start doing that. Maybe maybe I should start doing like a occasional what like, could go wrong, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, cover the voice up like we have whoever oh, on and then like, like change the voice. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. OK, OK. You know yeah. that we had an off the record stage at Money 2020 last yeah. year where you had to like put the phone away and everything. Yeah, we're iterating on it. So this year there's a we're like none of this is like set in stone, but we're iterating on it. And one of the ideas that we have is to like basically kind of do away with the ability to see speakers for some of the sessions so you would be what? potentially not able so there's a few versions of it one one Ooh. is like you could just put a screen up in front of like three people right yeah. and if you don't obscure their voices it gets a little weird unless it's Especially all women all do a ton of podcast interviews that too um <laughs> people might be able to pick like my voice out or whatever yeah, yeah very fair um but if it's like three community bankers right yeah. and like maybe nobody heard their voices yeah and they still get to be on the they agenda and they can be honest yeah. and you don't know who said what but you know who was there right or there's a version of it where you take that even further and you kind of mask their voice and it's almost like a mass singer kind of a thing where they like we could they could have a mask and we could extrapolate away their voice I've so, never seen the show but i'm like getting very excited about like wearing some like big like exactly exactly <laughs> yeah i've never i've literally only seen the commercials yeah. but the like concept the is simple enough you're like yeah that's weird yeah the, the back of the cab when you're like how do i turn this down <laughs> volume down, volume down. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah so we're we're thinking about um yeah we're thinking about doing that so maybe maybe that maybe we take one of our actual fintech conversations yeah. and we put it there because I, I feel like there are a lot of things that we've talked about off the record or that we could talk about off the record that are like really important 
Well, we almost did it about three times during this conversation, but then we stopped because we knew that that line is really hard not to. Categorically, things that are like important to talk about, yeah, fraud and fintech, and like. Well, I mean, one one that maybe we can touch on that we'll just bury all the way at the end of the fucking episode. Yeah, anyone who's still listening, (laughs) here's your treat. Everyone's and, like, oh my God, are they gonna stop talking? I think the the one of the interesting conversations we have is about how companies that are ancillary or somehow touching financial services that are providing a financial services product should maybe be regulated like financial yeah. services entities. Yeah. Right. And there's policy that is leaning in that direction. And mm-hmm. like the world is about to get real. If it already isn't, it's about to get really, really weird for sponsor banks and yeah. for a lot of banking as a service companies and for the in consumers thereof. I think everybody like there's going to be a trickle down effect of insanity. Yeah. Um, but that's I mean, that's a that's one thing that I don't talk about a ton in the podcast because it is kind of a moral ethical thing. But this this idea that if you don't hold a charter but you're providing a financial service that you shouldn't be regulated similarly is fucking nuts well it 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 passes the buck on who's responsible for consumer outcomes and and it really yeah. obscures and and look i i get it like not wanting to be regulated is sure. very normal yeah <laughs> for a company that's how that's golf like, clubs were founded right yeah like yeah. we wouldn't have country clubs if people didn't complain about being overly regulated right yeah <laughs> i don't know that backstory but <laughs> throw, a, throw a link in the <laughs> no i'm just joking i mean just like yeah the amount of old white men that complain about right, being about overly regu- as overly concept. regulated as a yeah, concept and, yeah and again i'm i'm someone who like runs a company and like do i want more regulation that i have to abide by every single day just for the sake of it especially if it's implemented poorly and track right. you know, whatever yeah. not really no but but yeah. i think that's different than talking about the sort of conceptual nature of regulation and the importance of like what it's for and what what it should be for and the sort of the, the very american concept of like a more perfect union right like what is a more perfect version of like what we're trying to do knowing that we will fall short and like we we have to make that again back to what i first started with like balance of systems um yeah i i think that like i am not a regulatory expert i am not a legal expert i have just been operating in fintech fintech for a long time um and I, I think that like the obscurity of who's responsible for custody of funds. Let's just take something really basic like mm-hmm. custody of funds. Yeah. In the modern fintech landscape is what's the like right, what's the right word to put at the end of the sentence? It is not good for consumers right now. And I I read so there was, was a, diplomatic. That was good. Yeah, yeah, not good. There there was a neobank that shut down like two months ago. Um, there are going to be more that shut down this year for sure. Yeah. With all the neobanks shutting down, not all of them, but like with many, you know, early stage neobanks that yep. weren't able to succeed shutting down, um, there are going to be really really big questions around who actually has responsibility to make sure those customers get their funds back. Yeah. And oh whether, god, the trust implication. I hadn't thought about the trust implications of all these little neobanks right. kind of I mean, if nine out of ten companies or whatever the actual right. stat is fail, like what is the perception in the consumer? Wow. Is it is it good or bad that in the last six months we had these like massive blow ups in crypto? Right. I don't know. Maybe it's good and that it makes all it's this probably long term good. It makes well, yes, yes. But like it makes it seem at least for now, like like these failures are 
smaller, like yeah, oh, several that, millions of dollars, not yeah. several billions of dollars or you yeah. know, whatever it is. But yeah. But, but to your yeah. point, there's funds at the end of the day that And enough funds for all the customers who hold it and the FBO structure. It's it's very fast and loose right now. And I think, you know, this this neobank that shut down, um, from everything I can tell, they did things more or less by whatever book exists in today's yeah. you know, world. And they returned funds to customers. But I found I was just looking God, into it. Whatever I, book exists. You're so right. There isn't a book for that. And in, in, in actual banking, there is, right? Like right, right. FDIC would come in and there is a fucking book that it, they run for you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and like again, it, it seems like in this case, like funds are returned and like there there doesn't seem to be a huge problem. But I read this article that was written about this neobank by someone outside of fintech, a journalist blogger type, not like in a big publication or anything that was calling this neobank a scam, which again, we're, we're all used to that word getting thrown around. Like if you're an early stage fintech, like you've been called a scam at least once. Yeah. Like it's, you know, so so we can, you know, accept that some of it is, is new, but it was this article about how this neobank was a scam because they weren't a bank and that someone else was doing the banking on the back end. Oh my God. And it was like outrage over this fact. And it was so weird as an industry insider to kind of read it and be like, no, no, that's how it's done. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, that's SOP. Like yeah. that standard operating yeah. procedure of like how you work in this world. And so I like it's it's just strange when we talk about like, oh, fintech is mass adopted. People like neobanks are normal now. And I'm like, no, man, like there's so much stuff that like this neobank failed. They weren't a bank. They are like they right. were literally they I think they were even working with a vast provider who was working with a bank, right? Yeah. Like they were quite removed from the regulated part. But it's like consumers don't know what to make of that. Yeah. And like that is going to be dangerous if the funds aren't all accounted for, if fraud losses have been covered up during a bull economy. Like I think there's just a lot of stuff that's going to end up hurting a number of consumers. And I don't know that it's going to play out the way that we all want it to. I mean, I don't think there's any way in hell that it plays out in any sort of a positive way like right. i think that the and this is the thing about this whole industry is like there's like it I, to me it feels like there's this thing of like the spirit of a contract and then the words of the contract right or can you write a contract that like overwrites regulation right yeah <laughs> no not technically not really practically a lot of contracts out there right now like aren't quite within the bounds of like if a regulator was scrutinizing it that they would agree very much so yeah. yes very much so and i think that there is there is still like fintech in my world was invented to improve and help okay. people and right and this idea that we are going to and this is where i think you have to separate the cryptocurrency world very significantly okay. from fintech yeah. but this idea that we are going to stick just to the letter of the law and not the spirit of it is like such a banker move. And and sometimes it's actually much worse for consumers. It's inherent. It's just about always right. much worse for the consumers. The spirit of protecting consumers would actually put us in a better spot yeah. if more of those companies were trying yeah. to do that versus yeah. like technically, like yeah. we're not using this in a way that it's not supposed to be used. But yeah, I mean, I I, I think like, I I believe that there is a place for banks. I don't know if I necessarily think the industry is as big as other people think. Right, it is. right, right. I don't right. necessarily think embedded fintech. That's kind of my spicy take is like I I don't think 
I think embedded fintech is like one tenth the size that most VCs think it is. Yeah, I, I <laughs> like for a lot of for a lot of reasons. But I, I think part of it is the like the nature of who's making money, who's regulated, and who ultimately has the liability have been completely like spread out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the regulated entity is different than the one who's making money, which is the embedded provider, which is different than the one who has the liability, which is the end one. Who, yeah. Like, who, by the way, is not really benefiting that much unit economically. That's why I think embedded right. tech is not nearly yeah. as, as big. And see, that's that. my actually. So I would agree and I would agree with the or disagree with a caveat, which is like, I agree with you that it's not as big in terms of addressable like revenue market kind of or like prof, profit profit pool the profit pool isn't right. that big necessarily the opportunity to take financial products in an embedded fashion out to people and meet them in like at the end of that distribution channel when they need it i think there's so much room to run there and it's huge and there's a lot of potential but i don't think that the incentive mix is in the right place right for now. it to right now and i don't know if we are going to be able to get out of our own way to get it to a point where yeah. it could be for it to reach the place yeah. that you're talking. So I agree, but I think it all comes back to misaligned incentives. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think the consumer use cases are apparent to me. Yeah. But I think the question of like, we, I told you this was one of my ideas that I wanted to see at Money 2020 is like, I want to see a debate by someone in Bass yeah. with, with a Bass customer, like maybe not the same Bass customer. Right, like, right, right. right. We're like, they're is debating it, over like, was this worth it? To be making, who's <laughs> supposed to be making money right now? Yeah. Like who is supposed to be the one who's like printing money off yeah. of this relationship? Because I think both of them would say it would be them. Yeah. And like, why would, if you're a SaaS company and you've built distribution and you're like, shit, what new revenue streams can we get? FinTech, right? Like, then you're obviously doing it because you think you can make money off of yep. it. But like in the current structure, you're signing a contract, taking on an amount of liability. While then you probably don't understand. Right. That you probably don't understand or operationally know how to manage. Right. And you're then paying some amount to that. And those companies are raising a bunch of money on the idea that they're going to be the ones printing money. Mm -hmm. But like you wouldn't have done this to make some middleman print money. So I just I just like don't see like again from a customer use case sure but from like a the party that wins needs to be the party who's liable. Well the the <laughs> I, the idea that the winners in the banking as a service space aren't the banks that actually build APIs correctly is silly. Like I I love I love Unit as an example. I love Unit as an example. Uh, I said that twice. I don't know why. Um, but I love Unit as an example. And they, and a couple of others, um, but them specifically. And I think that they're, but there's a there's a ceiling to that success, yeah. I think. I, I mean, we're Unit customers. Yeah. We're very happy with them. Yeah. Right. I, I like very, have great things to say about that team and that product. But I think the, my general belief is that like, when catch hits the right scale, it's the same thing as broker dealers, by yeah. the way. And that like we we do retirement. So I, I know yep. both of these worlds. We work with um, a company called Folio that's bought by Goldman. Yep. Yep. They're our broker dealer. When catch has 
I don't know, let's say $10 billion under management for our retirement accounts, yeah. we would build You'd become your own, BD. our own broker dealer. Yeah. And like the same is true at some scale for banking services. And we would probably do that with a bank, right? right. But like we would get as close to the core as we possibly could yeah. in the same way that even like the bigger fintechs have done right. so far. Right? And that's, I guess that's kind of what I was saying is like the, if you try and kind of keep drawing that line out further in terms of unit keeps building and building and building, like the terms of service won't like the, when the terms of service say Blue Ridge Bank, it's because either Blue Ridge bought unit or unit bought Blue Ridge. This is, this is not a real example. Well, I guess they do work together, but this is not a real example of something that is happening in the world. I'm using it. This is, We're not I, trying to say that, that this we have is, any inside information. Yeah, this is an example. Zero information. <laughs> zero information. no information between the but two of us about what they're doing. The, the theory of the embedded, of the middle layer of the middleware layer being inside of the bank and aggregate like vertically integrating that is the only way that I understand at this point that both parties could even come close to hypothetically Patches winning. First banking as a service partner was BBVA, BBVA. open platform. Right. We were their first customers. Um, we we found great success with them. I, you know, they annoyed the shit out of me. Really great people, but obviously your banking partner is going to annoy you. Like, yeah. just will. But like, they were incredibly talented, very clear on motivations, totally aligned in what they were trying to do. Um, and they were purchased by PNC and PNC made the decision to shut open platform down. And yep. like to this day, I'm like God about damn that it. decision. Yeah. Right. And but like I to I totally agree. Like that is how these the, like the winners long term are gonna go. So again, it could be a tech yeah. writer who gets a charter, it yeah. could be a, a bank who like figures out how to scale their yeah. API sales team. You know, but I, yeah, we we really liked that structure of incentives because they had a you know a team within a team, right? Like a team inside of the bank that like they were more technical. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and to be fair, I guess the others like the NBKCs and the uh, Q2s of the world have seemed to have built a pretty good simpatico relationship yeah. as well. Um. And I think Unit again is building a really strong relationship with Blue Ridge, but I think it it isn't it isn't like a completely separate universe of yeah. incentives between technology provider and regulated entity. I guess. I think there's also this weird thing where like V like the first wave of banking as a service, which I would refer to as like U2 and BKC, yeah. like them OGs. You know, yeah, I got yeah, the yeah. tattoo on my shoulder. Um, they are they were a slow. Not slow because like we were actually like when I was there, like the MO was like, y'all are fast as shit. How'd you get that done? So like, that's <laughs> right, crazy. Right, right. Holy shit. You did all that in this amount of time. Different scales. <laughs> but if you look at like the past few years, you would probably say MBKC has been slower than an Evolve or slower than Blue Ridge or slower than a lot okay. of other companies that have yeah. just kind of like, here you go, right. you know, but that like the hair is the tortoise i think is doing pretty fucking well and will continue to do very yeah. well and is like winning big business yeah. and the hair i think has won a lot of really small deals and those really small deals are going to get looked at with a fucking magnifying glass yeah. and and a like, lot of those companies are struggling in this macro environment yeah. and yeah and will, q2 and nbkc yeah. have a really clear like you know there's a there's a relationship between though because the q2 as an organization based on who it is understands banking and understands yeah. bankers yeah. and i think that the most of the new fangled middleware companies don't have a lot of that right. some of them are hiring it like unit has hired some yeah. people from there and, and vice versa whatever but it, like the lack of the this idea that you can come in and run 
a middleware company without ever having spoken to a fucking community bank CEO or fucking the thing that pisses me off the fucking most is respecting. Like yeah. if you don't fucking respect the community bank CEO, if you think you're fucking smarter than them, right. you're dead. Like any CEO I find that is convinced that they're smarter than their bank partner, like you probably are in some way, shape or form, but you don't understand what your bank partner's going what through. What they do and why. Exactly. Yeah. Understand their motivation. For the most part, they're not fucking idiots if their bank's been alive for that long. Yeah. Like there's yeah. a reason it's been alive that long. And now I'm on my soapbox and I'm getting riled up. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think the, <laughs> the biggest, the biggest problem, well, not problem, it was the, it was the opportunity that some of the new vast providers came in and saw was that the Q2s of the world didn't know how to sell early stage. Yeah. And I don't just mean technically know how it's that like they put contracts in front of us in the early days that were outrageously expensive yeah that like the the pricing just didn't make sense for early stage startups it's just not even close to feasible totally yeah. so yeah i think i think some of it was opportunism of like hey there's this space especially while fintech is exploding where we can get in at the early early days you make the right contract with a couple of those fintechs that end up scaling and yeah. and like that's that's what makes you a winner yeah um but with regulators coming in, maybe this like we're playing a poker hand here and we're just taking a bunch of cards is not going to play out as well as as they're hoping. Yeah, I don't Bad know. Bad actors are can infiltrate big time, and I think that the Especially like in an FBO. Yeah, that whole structure, and we won't go down that rabbit yeah. hole because we're almost at an hour and a half. But the FBO structure thing, and that all of that is, let's save that for episode two. We'll do episode two. It, You're it pregnant, is. so I know you got to pee because I, I got to pee. Absolutely. Constantly. Okay. Kristen, thank you. I love you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Zach. This <laughs> is so much fun. You're the best. Thanks for joining the conversation, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our time with Kristen. Jump in them show notes for more info on Kristen and Catch. And again, go check out our sponsors, the supporters of this show that make it happen. Navvin.com, N-A-V-A-N.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app as the incredibly responsible podcast host that I am. Can't you tell? And if you want our weekly, yeah, that's right. They're slowly becoming weekly again. Emails, go to forfintechsake.com and subscribe there. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and I love you all.